LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. G'day, I'm Scott Sanders. Welcome to The One Thing, a podcast designed to give you one solid practical tip for gospel centre ministry every week. Now, The One Thing is brought to you by Reach Australia. We want to see thousands of healthy, evangelistic and multiplying churches. Uh, If you want that too, we would love you to support us. Uh, So head to reachaustralia.com.au forward slash give and you can find out a number of ways you can support uh, this important ministry. Uh, Today's an interesting episode. Uh, Peter, our producer, uh, spent a bit of time with Peter Jensen, who was the former Archbishop of Sydney and then the former Principal of Moore Theological College uh, in Sydney. He's just written a book uh, called The Life of Faith. And Matthias Media describes it as an entry-level, introductory, systematic theology. Uh, for those who know Peter, Peter for many years taught on Christian doctrine. And, uh, and so this discussion that Peter has is all about the importance of Christian doctrine for the believer. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today's podcast is brought to you by KidsWise Academy. The KidsWise Academy is an online platform that seeks to equip people in discipling kids. The Academy is a flexible platform that offers courses for both parents and volunteers. Why not explore the growing numbers of courses in the KidsWise Academy today? Head to the website kidswise.com.au. And now back to the podcast. Peter, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Let's just start with that question of what is systematic theology? I mean, how, how do you, what does that mean? Well, years ago, I decided to mainly use the word doctrine. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a far less confronting word, Mm. but it's basically the same thing. Uh, So let me take doctrine first. Uh, The word doctrine, as you know, comes from the idea of teaching. Mm -hmm. The doctor is actually the teacher. Mm. Uh, And the uh, so doctrine is shorthand for the teaching of the Bible. And I would say the teaching of the Bible in the light of the tradition of interpretation that we listen to, the the 2,000 years of voices interpreting the Bible and helping us out and that sort of thing and the history and all those sorts of things. But it is the teaching of the Bible. Uh, And it's the teaching of the Bible on certain topics in particular. So it's not the teaching of the Bible on whether to wear flowers or something like this. It's the teaching of the Bible on creation Mm -hmm. and on humanity and upon the Holy Spirit and the Trinity and etc., etc., the big topics of the Bible. Now, uh, systematic theology is simply another name for that, really. It's systematic treatment of theology. Where does theology come from? From the Bible. So it's a systematic theology. It's much the same. But do bear in mind that when we're talking about doctrine, we're not just talking about picking up your Bible and reading it fresh. Yes, that's a good thing to do, but you also read it with the help of 2,000 years of interpreters. So you read it in the light of a tradition. The tradition is not the word of God, but the tradition helps us to understand the word of God. So I want to come back to reading why I read systematic theology in a moment, but I noticed through the book you're you're including biblical theology, how the whole Bible fits together, and you're you're looking at some uh, key passages. You're also including some great quotes from history as well, so historical theology. So they all kind of fit together, don't they? 
They do, and philosophy too for that matter. Mm. So a knowledge of the world in which we're living and its history, uh, all very important if you're going to be doing doctrine. Mm. Uh, in fact, it requires uh, a considerable amount of learning to be able to uh, teach doctrine in, di- in different fields, particularly I'd say the patristic period and the reformation period and the contemporary world. Um, so yes, we, it needs to come together. Uh, in, but fundamentally... It is the teaching of the Bible, what the Bible teaches. Now, biblical theology, uh, again, an extraordinarily important discipline in which um, we, part of the problem with uh, many Bible readers is that we read it an inch at a time and it just becomes a whole f- series of texts. What biblical theology does is that it traces the narrative of the Bible through from creation to the new creation it traces the narrative of the Bible through. And the narrative of the Bible is really the kingdom of God, the, the beginnings and the end of the kingdom of God. Uh, I think biblical theology is intricately important to doctrine, but it's not the same thing. Uh, I think biblical, biblical theology is what I'd say is uh, descriptive. It describes doctrine as prescriptive. It, it pushes us to faith and obedience and is essential for preaching. Again, I, I, I do want to come back to this, but your book, who was it actually, who did you have in mind as you wrote it? Oh, that's easy because um, I inherited from my, my distinguished and beloved predecessor, Dr. Broughton Knox, the idea that, uh, that um, the first year, uh, that one of the key courses in the first year of college was doctrine. Doctrine One, and it was an overview course. It wasn't. It was intended to go from creation to the eschatology, include everything in it. Uh, obviously, at a, a fast rate. Uh, the intention is to show how it integrates, and also to give the big picture into which the other parts come in due course. So, uh, of course, Doctor Knox always had in mind that the theological course should be four years not three, he wanted a four-year course so that it would be time to do these things. So when I took over as principal, I decided immediately that doctrine was the principal's job. So I taught doctrine one as long as I was principal. Uh, And this book arises from those lectures I gave. And this is how it happened. Uh, I noticed early on in my career that when students in those days used to write down notes as they were listening, and I noticed that what they wrote down was not necessarily what I'd said and was hardly, often hardly worth keeping. And I understand that because that's how I did it as well as a student. So I thought to myself, well, what I ought to do is, is to write out what I want them to know and then spend the time in the lecture room in discussion in, uh, in question answer, in saying new things, going further than these doctrine notes. In other words, it gave me double the amount of airspace. So it turned into 27 lectures, uh, which were the foundations for what occurred in the class. So it doesn't, didn't try to cover all of what we were doing in class, but it was the foundation for what we did in class. And those 27 lectures 
uh, have been the foundation, updated, revised, looked at again, but of this book now. Now, you mentioned earlier on uh, Dr. Broughton Knox. Um, how influential was he for you and how, do you th- how influential do you think he has been for Australian uh, Christianity and theology? Uh, two questions. Uh, the first is, well, take the second first, how influential. It's very interesting. It's somewhat scary at my age to observe how quickly people forget people. Uh, so that uh, nowadays uh, one of the most famous names of the, of, the, of the last two or three decades is a man called John Chapman, the great evangelist. It's interesting talking to 20-year-olds and they vaguely have heard of him but they don't know much about him. And the same applies to a towering figure like Broughton Knox, who in his day was, was very well known indeed. He had his critics by the ton, but he also had his disciples, if I can put it like that, by the ton. He made the modern Moore College. He, he really took what was there back in 1959 when he became principal and in a 26-year stint, he made the college what it is, including purchasing lots of property roundabout and all sorts of other things like that. And in training up the next... When I went to college, most of the the faculty were not from Moore College. Uh, They were great men. Um, They were men in those days. Uh, They were from... But but their training came from elsewhere. By the time Broughton had finished, most of the faculty had been trained within the college and done doctorates elsewhere. because he was training up another collection of, uh, of uh, academic theologians, and he did. So his influence has been felt in a number of ways in the, in the, in the geography of Moore College, in the, uh, in the fact that we've been able to continue as a, uh, a residential college, in the uh, structure of the courses, in the em- em- emphasis on academic things, particularly the languages, uh, but also the high academic standards. Uh, but Preeminently, I would always say his influence has been felt on the men he shaped, on the people he shaped as a teacher. So that's the first thing. The second thing was what was he like? Well, um, he did create difficulties sometimes. He had a very athletic mind. He would, he would say something one week and then see something better and change it the next week, which really frustrated people like the council members, for example, who found him hard. And he went ahead and did things that needed to be done straight away, but not necessarily consulting them. So there were those who were his critics. However, furthermore, I'll never forget the first sermon I heard him preach. Uh, I'd heard about the famous Dr Knox and he came to our church and preached the sermon. I was so disappointed. He, <laughs> he, he, he was not rhetor- He did not have any great rhetorical skills, if I can put it like that. And so others, like John Chapman and Dudley Ford and others, were great rhetoricians, and you could listen to them. But Doctor Knox more or less ambled. Um. But it was interesting. By the time you were six months into your college course, he was the one you were listening to. Because he may not have been the greatest preacher, though I think his preaching was very good actually, but he was a master teacher. Now, a master teacher in two ways. 
first of all, by his absolute love of the Bible and his knowledge of the Bible. So when questions came up, he just characteristically said, well, what does the Bible say? And you were pushed back. Now, he knew his system. He knew his, he knew his historical theology. He knew his contemporary theology. He'd read it all. But what he was doing was teaching us that the, the preeminent authority of Holy Scripture, what does the Bible say? The second element of his teaching skill was in uh, question answer. So he would say something fairly outrageous, on purpose no doubt, and someone would ask a question and then it would be on. So his lectures mainly consist of discussion, argument, debate, all done with the best of humour and with a piercing insight. So you learnt more... He said to me once, well, look at my lecture notes. You know, I asked him a question. He said, I've lectured on this. Look at what you wrote down. I didn't write anything down. His teaching was not that sort of teaching. It was the brilliance of a moment in which a revelation occurred and you say, of course. And so his influence was that of a master teacher, uh, particularly in repartee with with the class. Some people didn't like it. Those of us who did thought it was absolutely something we hadn't come across before that was so brilliant. It sounds like he was really teaching you how to love the Lord your God with all your mind. Is that a good way of looking at it? It is a good way of looking at it. Sure. Let me come back to the book. Uh, let me ask the question, why uh, should uh, all Christians, not just professionals or professionals in training, read a systematic theology. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, we all ought to, um, or be taught it at least, and I would hope that our expository preaching, absolutely basic though that is, is also supported by doctrinal preaching from the pulpit, Uh, whether it's uh, through catechisms uh, or through straight preaching, uh, because doctrine, remember the doctrine is the teaching of the Bible on big topics, and what it does is... It unifies the Bible and gives you the big picture of the Bible. And in order to understand the parts, you have to understand the whole. Good teaching, good learning goes from whole to part to whole. And uh, doctrine gives you that whole. It helps you to see how everything hangs together and integrates. And it is the pathway to application, what we call application, uh, to seeing to comparing and contrasting what the gospel says with whatever, what, are, what other isms in the world there are, whether it's Marxism or feminism and so forth. You need doctrine to be able to compare and contrast these things. Hence the importance that not just the pastor, but the pastor teaches and makes sure he teaches. And I would say from the age of two or three, catechism should be part of what is taught to children Uh, because we need to have a doctrinal head in order to understand the Bible. Uh, The Bible interprets the Bible, fundamental hermeneutical point. In order for that to happen, you have to know what the whole Bible says, and that's what doctrine should deliver to you. Now, um, okay, there are all sorts of books written on doctrinal or systematic theology. Some of them are absolutely vast, erudite tomes with, I mean, uh, the work of Karl Barth in itself is a lifetime study. 
for example, uh, or John Calvin's institutes are pretty heavy going, important though they are. So we also need, I think, for uh, the beginner, uh, something more simple uh, so that they can get the whole picture uh, and then go further. And I've tried to provide that book as a sort of bridge. Sure. I'm not sure I'd describe the book as simple. So I, I think it's um, – I think what I saw as I was reading through it were there were some very complex ideas that were explained very, very clearly. So I'm not sure I'd, I'd describe it as simple. Um, but I would explain uh, – it was certainly done in a way that um, people could understand. And it is a very readable book. Uh, in fact, one of the things I noticed is that you – you had a tendency to, uh, so to speak, uh, play the ball and not the man. So you you did actually um, make it as, uh, along the way, things like some might say or many will say, rather than actually naming those people. Was there a particular reason you did that? Yes. Um, well, yes. I th- I sometimes think it's a bit boring to be continually naming name dropping. Sure. So. <laughs> I just summarise what sure. people say, uh, I think. I don't want the book to be boring. Um, and, yes, I think you're right. It's not simple in the sense that it deals with profound issues. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying it deals with them well, but I am saying it deals with profound issues. Mm. So from that point of view, it is confronting. It's not a beginner's book quite. Well, let me put it this way. It may be the first book of doctrine you possibly, I don't know, Peter, you might have a comment on this. It may be the first book of doctrine you read. It depends on your where you are educationally and so forth. Um, but what I was trying to do as well, many doctrine books, many books of systematic theology tend to be sort of textbooks in their form. Mm. They tend to be the sort of book you go to on a particular subject and some of them are great, magnificent, one-volume systematic theologies. Uh, But you would never read them through. You'd never go and read the whole thing through. And what I was trying to do here, with whatever success, was to give you a book which you could actually read through and see how the whole thing fitted together. I I certainly found that. And working through it, I found uh, that uh, having those discussion questions at the end were very, very helpful. I could see that this would have been a, a book or is a book I could very easily uh, read with someone else I'm discipling one-to-one or even go through in a small group if people read the chapter beforehand. Oh, that would be beautiful. If I had a group that was, mm. you know, mm. motivated enough to actually do some homework. Yes. Uh, so I can see that it, this could have a number of different uses. Did you have um, a particular idea for how uh, a gospel minister um, – working in a church, how he might be using the book? Is, is it for his own benefit or for uh, yes, I think, the church? Yes, I think one of the key things is that as time goes on and you're in gospel ministry, which is an extraordinarily demanding role, very, very demanding, and I can quite understand how sometimes we, uh, we don't read as much as we should or whatever, I would hope that it may be possible that someone well-trained, read all in the previous day, has read John Calvin all the way through, etc., etc., may still turn back to this book, which isn't as demanding as John Calvin by any stretch of the imagination, and find it refreshing. I'm hoping that it will refresh 
the pastors who read it and inspire them with the idea of teaching the elders, of teaching the um, teaching the, uh, the, uh, the university students, of teaching people in and through it in the congregation so that they too may have this sense of the whole which will better equip them to understand the parts, if I put it like that. So it is. In, it, I would hope that pastors will read it if they would like to. With some profit. Sure. Can, can I ask, in, in your view of uh, Australian Christianity, uh, one of the questions that, that came up for me as I was travelling around the world was that I noticed that um, our American brothers and sisters tended to have a much better understanding of doctrine, systematic theology. In Australia, we had, uh, we can, our average person in our church can exegete a passage and understand biblical theology, but Systematic theology tends to be our weak spot, whereas in America it tended to be biblical theology and exegesis was their weak spot. Do you think that's an accurate way of, of looking at the, the weakness of Australian Christianity? Well, I can speak more for Sydney, sure. where we are, but it may well apply elsewhere as well. Uh, yes, I think that the move that we had in the 1960s towards expository preaching and towards biblical theology have been absolutely vital, fundamental. You could hardly overrate their importance. I, and, and the coming into existence as it was in the 1960s of small groups where people would meet at small groups and study together in the, in the churches. Uh, these things were, were developments back then which if we had not done them, we'd be on the point of extinction now, in my opinion. So don't hear me say anything else. However, I have to say, and I have been saying this for a long time, that if, if this is not accompanied with doctrinal teaching, uh, my way of saying it is 80% expository, 20% doctrine, if it's not accompanied by, expository, by doctrinal preaching, your expository preaching will not do the job that it's intended to do. Because uh, the great, as I said before, the great hermeneutical principle is that the Bible interprets the Bible. That is the first and greatest hermeneutical principle. Uh, expository preaching, however good it is, uh, is looking at particular passages. It needs to be done in the context of the whole. And the whole is, first of all, biblical theology, of course, and then doctrine. So you will enhance your expository preaching if you... Uh, enhance the grasp of the congregation of doctrine and you will better equip all to resist the world and to teach the world if they understand doctrine. I wanted to ask a couple of questions about methodology and the way that you wrote the book. Um, one of the questions for me was it was interesting that you started, your first chapter was actually on the gospel. Uh, in all the other systematic theologies I've read, it's always about the revelation of God. Now, that came very early on, but you started with the gospel. W why did you decide to start there? Uh, yes. In the first attempt I made at this back in the Moore College lectures back in 1989, I think it was, I started with eschatology, the doctrine of the last things. But then next time around, I thought to myself, no, I'll start with the gospel, as you rightly point out, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it seems to me that our, our acceptance of the authority of the Bible 
depends, first of all, on our acceptance of the gospel. You don't have to believe in the Bible. You don't even have to know there is a Bible to hear the gospel and believe it. And then when you do, Jesus will take you to the Bible. So that's a methodological thing. But there is another reason as well, and more important even. Uh, The gospel contains within itself the whole thing, and in particular, eschatology. The gospel is that the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So when we're thinking gospel, we're already introducing the idea not just of the past, not just of the present, but also of the future. And it is the, it is the, it is the motion, it is the move, it is the march towards the end which helps us to understand where we are now and how we are to behave now. It is grasping where we are going which gives us meaning in this present life and helps us to understand what God is doing. And so I think it's starting with the gospel gives us, in a sense, in a nutshell, what doctrine is about uh, in all its parts. The gospel, too, presupposes human sinfulness, for example, and etc., etc., etc. So it's a, little, it's a little seed of what doctrine is about. Understand the gospel and you are on the way to understanding things doctrinally. What's the one thing that you'd want to say about the study of doctrine? Uh, Well, I've been talking now for the last how many minutes and doing all the talking, forgive me, uh, about this. Um, I suppose in one word, for Christians, indispensable. Peter, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, I've read a number of systematic theologies. This one is not only readable, it's enjoyable. So uh, I've, um, and it's not just informative. Uh, as I read through it, I felt it brought me closer to God. And uh, as um, somebody else who read it once said, uh, it was a systematic theology that led to a doxology, the glorifying of God. Uh, the book's available at Matthias Media on the website and in all good bookshops. I'm Pete Hughes. Chat soon. Mm-hmm.